0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn.
1: This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at ClearMe.com slash Peter and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide.
0: Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. So where might you be traveling this year? Are you making plans? Well, before you do that, we'll get the European perspective from two veteran journalists from Paris, Elaine Chialina from the New York Times, on what's open, what's not, and what might open. And then to Simon Wright from The Economist magazine and why this still may not be the year for planning ahead, at least not in the traditional sense. And then I'll talk about passenger rights with Charlie Leoka, the president of Travelers United. So what happens if you get sick and can't fly? Do you have any protections if you cancel? And of course, what happens if the airline cancels your flight? What your rights really are. And finally, I'll head far west to get far east and talk with Lalit Marcus from CNN. She's in Hong Kong, a place still locked down, and she'll tell us what's going on in Asia. But first up, from Paris, Elaine Cialino. Hello, Elaine.
4: Hello, Peter. It's so nice to be with you again.
0: I know, but we're not really with each other because I'm in New York and you're in Paris. Can people get to Paris now? Is Paris opening up?
4: People can get to Paris. In fact, I just saw something on Air France where you can a nonstop round-trip flight for 350 euros.
0: Whoa. Well, you know, we were in Paris not that long ago doing a story on an airline that most people have never heard of called French B. And French B was doing tickets for 198 between Orly and, uh, and, uh, and Newark. And interesting story because, you know, Air France was never known as a discount carrier. Now they're matching the fares. Well, uh, the situation
4: is pretty, uh, I won't say desperate, but uh, semi-desperate. The, the the conventional wisdom was that everything was going to get back to normal, but it hasn't yet. Uh, I was in the Louvre uh, last Saturday. I'm working on a book on how to fall in love with the Louvre. The Louvre was empty last last Saturday. Uh, I was in a restaurant last night, very close to the Louvre, you know, on the, on the Rue saint Honoré. the... You know, the, right near the Conseil d'Etat and the Comedie uh, Francaise, in the heart of uh, Paris, uh, my, I was the only uh, person with with my uh, with my guest uh, at the restaurant. H-
0: how was the service? <laughs> the
4: service was fabulous, and uh, and the, and the meal was pretty good, and it wasn't very expensive. Uh, people are trying to get back to normal. Outdoor restaurants, anything outdoor, is filled as soon as the temperature goes above forty-five degrees. And uh, anywhere in in Paris, uh, anybody that's got an outdoor uh, uh, cafe that can be turned into a restaurant with, you know, with heating uh, lamps uh, is 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 full. Uh, but on the other hand, I just got back from the drugstore at the pharmacy. A woman walked in and said, gosh, you know, I have a really bad cold and I'm 81 years old and I haven't been vaccinated. So can I get tested?
0: Oh, my God.
4: And this is part of the problem is that, um, you know, only 77% of the French have uh, received even two doses. And there's a very strong anti-vax movement here that has helped prevent uh, normalcy.
0: However, though, uh, as the European Union does continue to open, uh, you can go to France. You can go to most of the European Union countries. Uh, Ireland just opened their doors, I mean completely opened their doors, where no no tests are required. Of course, for everybody listening to this show if you're coming back from Paris, you still do the, you still need to do the the 24-hour in advance negative covid test before you can come home. But things look like they're beginning to open up even b- despite the uh, you know the high vac the high number of cases that are still happening in Europe.
4: Well, because in France you've got an, a presidential election in April and President Macron has not said he's going to run, but everyone assumes that he will and he wants to win. And so the French government has to get back to normal so that things are going to change in the beginning of February. Uh, For example, uh, work from home uh, is supposed to be uh, mandatory for a lot of people. It's going to be recommended, but not mandatory. Um, wearing masks uh, will, uh, will ease up uh, in, uh, in, in the beginning of uh, February. They will no longer be mandatory in most public spaces. So that there is a, a push to convey and to celebrate normalcy uh, in Paris and in France.
0: And of course, being a buyer's market that it is right now, a pretty good time to go.
4: Oh, it's a great time to come here. And uh, in fact, I just sent a a close friend a notice from Air France saying, don't you want to come to Paris right now? It's 300. Actually, I made a mistake. It's not 350 euros. It's 351 euros on Air France.
0: Oh, oh, excuse me. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at also to to talk to you about what may have changed during the pandemic that nobody expected. For example, the river itself, the Seine. you know, we saw pictures of dolphins in Venice. We saw pictures of dolphins in the uh, in Istanbul. Um, what's changed in the Seine? Well, the Seine's gotten much cleaner. Uh, the Seine is
4: always going to have some problems because when you have rain, you have runoff from lead roofs in a place like Paris, so that that eventually uh, that water goes right into the Seine. But but you have had so much less industrial uh, boat traffic and. Uh, houseboat traffic on the Seine that it's much cleaner and you can see it because in many cases even in paris you can see uh to the bottom of uh of the Seine and as you know from our previous conversations peter i have actually gone swimming in the Seine so um
0: and you live and you live to tell about it
4: <laughs> i'm i'm still here and uh, covid free. <laughs>
0: so for people thinking of going to france right now what do they need to know i mean they still have to show proof of vaccination to go to a restaurant you
4: do you have to have what's called um, you have to have what's called a pass vaccinal which is uh, your your two main doses and your booster and even in this little restaurant last night where we were the only clients we had to show it and if you don't show it the restaurant uh, owner can get into real trouble uh, you know, on the other hand, you're supposed to also, in Paris, be wearing the mask in public spaces uh, and be fined if you, if you don't, but nobody's paying any attention to that. And I've even seen people uh, on the metro with no mask at all. So there's a real hope that things are going to uh, get back to normal. But you have to be aware that, you know, in one day, you know, in the last 24 hours, there have been 500,000 new cases of COVID in France. So, you you know, come, but wear an N95 mask if you're going to go on public transportation and uh, in in any public space, you know, theater, uh, movie theater, uh, concert hall. But but everything's open. Everything's open. Everything's open. And everything will get more and more open because, as I said, you've got a presidential campaign and you've got to look like life is normal.
0: Well, listen, the idea that you can go to the Louvre and... uh and it's not crowded, is enough for me.
4: It This is the time to go to the loop. You will get to, there are very few lines, or if there are lines, they're very short, and uh, and you'll get to see all your favorite uh, paintings uh, and sculptures close up. And also, there's a million um, wonderful art exhibits uh, uh, on right now and, and coming up uh, in the next, uh, the next few weeks and months.
0: What's changed in your daily life since COVID started?
4: The main change in my daily life, frankly, is not feeling 100% comfortable unmasked in a restaurant. Uh, uh, Otherwise, life is absolutely fine. You know, I do all my shopping in my neighborhood on the Rue des Martyrs, which is the subject of one of my books. And, uh, you know, all the merchants stayed open even through the worst of of, uh, confinement when you could only go out for an hour uh, uh, uh at a time uh, with um and and stay within a, a kilometer of your of your home uh you know i go to um uh museums uh, uh i take the metro i take buses i walk everywhere but i really am careful about not going into restaurants in very very confined spaces uh, I, I just don't feel that comfortable taking off my mask with a lot of people given the fact that even if people are vaccinated the, the case uh, the, the the case numbers are still very high
0: what about other forms of public transportation like the train
4: oh you st- you have to wear you have to wear a mask on a train but trains are okay
0: and of course if you're taking a train in paris you can go anywhere in the world up there i mean it's just you're it's, it's open to you
4: yes yes exactly and but you do need a pass vaccine now to take the A train, a a plane, or bus uh, in uh, a a long, a long haul bus uh, ride in uh, France.
0: But the good news is, and it's not just happening in Paris; it's happening in Amsterdam. It's happening in other cities with short haul flights where the government is actively encouraging people not to fly short haul flights, but to take the train, and that makes a whole lot of sense.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and the fact is, if you mask, uh, wear your mask in. in public transportation, you're, you're going to
0: be fine. Is anything going to be changing in Europe? Because everything's changing by the hour. You know, one day, I don't talk about European Union countries, right? One and, and even the ones that were formerly members, like the United Kingdom, uh, or you see Ireland. One day they're open, one day they're closed. You have no idea what's going on in Italy. One day they're open, one day they're closed. One day they're acquiring a test, one day they're not. I would assume that would defeat the idea that so many Americans normally uh, embrace of visiting more than one location on their European trip.
4: I think it depends on three factors: are case numbers skyrocketing? You know, and and, and indeed, is this little cousin variant serious or not? Are hospitals full? And are emergency rooms overwhelmed? And um, uh, uh, what what's the politics? What what is going on politically in each country that can either lead to opening or closing?
0: So what you're really saying, sort of like indirectly, is because there's an election going on, it's incumbent upon both candidates to keep the country open.
4: Well, it's incumbent on all candidates because you see right now there it's a crowded field because you've got the you know the the incumbent president who's a, a sort of centrist uh, a, a, a mushy centrist. Then you've got a center right candidate who's a woman. And you've got two on 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 the far far right. You have nobody really in the Socialist Party uh, who's a viable candidate, and and no one as a as a real contender on the far left. But the chorus from all of the candidates is, France is great. France has to get greater, and France can only be great and greater if uh, it's healthy, and uh, we look like uh, we have conquered COVID.
0: <laughs> so it's in everybody's best interest politically to keep everything open. Correct. Wow. Okay. Now, during the pandemic, at least... You in can get
4: You can get a reservation at any restaurant in Paris these days. So this is a time for, to come back.
0: <laughs> They'll even let you bust the table. Yeah. Exactly. Well, during the pandemic, at least in the United States, there are so many little cottage industries that, that's sort of like sprouted up. And I'm not talking about COVID tests. I'm talking about... You know, restaurant delivery services—the Door Dashes and the Grub Hubs and stuff—I'm assuming that's happening all over Paris as well.
4: It is happening all over Paris, but but the the thing about Paris is Paris is the most densely populated city in in Western Europe, and people live in small apartments and they want to get out. People don't want to have a a, a takeout meal delivered to their uh, home to sit around in a in, in a tiny alcove off the kitchen. There is a real Uh, there's a history and a tradition of the cafe culture and people need that connection with the street and with the outdoors. And that's why even in cold weather, you've got people, a lot of people eating outside. And I I think that you probably have that in Paris more than any other Northern European city because of, uh, because it's just in, in, in everyone's DNA.
0: Of course, on this side of the Atlantic, especially in New York, we've had so many restaurants closed forever. If you were walking up Madison Avenue right now, Elaine, every third storefront is vacant. Sometimes every second storefront is vacant. Many of them restaurants, some of them restaurants that have been around for years that are people's favorites, disappeared. Um, and so the amount of choice in New York right now has been diminished. Uh, have you had a lot of closures in France too? Well, you haven't had the same density of closures because you had have, have had
4: incredible governmental subsidies helping individual entrepreneurs. And so a lot of businesses were able to 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 close for a while, but basically stay open because of, of these um, subsidies and also tremendous unemployment uh, benefits for for their workers. So you haven't seen. You know, I can walk up and down um, the streets in my neighborhood, which is the ninth arrondissement, south of Montmartre, and I don't see I don't see closed storefronts.
0: Wow, and of course. There's the other issue that so many people in the workforce in the, in America, especially in hospitality, travel, and tourism, left their jobs and are not coming back. How do you fill that? Is it that is that because in a way that if you have a waiter in Paris, that waiter is not a job; it's a profession. And, and it's a
4: it's a it's a profession, and and it's better paid, and in a lot of cases, it's unionized.
0: That'll do it. I mean. I remember, I mean, and and the, and the waiter's father before him or her was a waiter, and and it's it's in the family. It's something that they like to do. It's 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 they're proud of it, um, and uh, we don't see that in the United States. You know, I I know I'm giving you a stereotypical description here, but half the waiters I know are actresses waiting for a callback, um, and 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 in a situation where 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 COVID hit, forget the callback. They weren't going to come back, and they're not going to work anymore. Well,
4: the other thing you have, Paris is very different from New York in that para- rents in Paris are not um, as astronomical as they are in New York. And a lot of small proprietors, uh, either uh, food merchants or restaurant uh, uh, owners, uh, actually own what they call the walls, the mirror, and so they own their spaces. And wow. they don't have to pay uh, rents that they can't afford.
0: My thanks to Elaine. This may not be the year for the best laid travel plans. But Simon Wright from The Economist has a plan B or maybe even a plan C that might work. Welcome, Simon. Hello, Peter. So it's crystal ball time. We saw the last two years. We saw the devastation. We saw the recovery. To a certain extent, we saw the resilience. But in terms of travel, I'm looking at some of the indicators and if you, if you believe them, the projections are, new variants notwithstanding, that we're going to see, you know, more than a billion people cross an international border in 2022, more than 3 billion people traveling one way or the other. So it may not be close, to, it is not far from from the 2019 levels, it hasn't surpassed them, but there are signs of life.
2: Look, I think that's absolutely right. And the direction of travel, even from the very beginning of the pandemic, it's been that we were going to get back to the sort of pre-pandemic levels by 2022. To 2023, 2024, but it's the sort of the, the flight path back there is the thing that's that that's slightly sort of um, hard to work out. The Omicron variant shows us exactly why it's so difficult to make shorter-term predictions because things seem to be picking up, things seem to be get you know progressing back to normal, and then Omicron sort of set things back a little bit.
0: They did, or it did, although it didn't. It didn't deter a lot of people from from, uh, trying to hedge their bets. A lot of people were doing something called trip stacking. They were saying, okay, I'm going to go. I don't care what anybody tells me. I'm going to go. And in situations where the airlines were no longer imposing ticket change fees, they were booking multiple trips on multiple airlines to multiple destinations for the exact same period of time so that if one country closed or they felt bad about going, they could go to Plan B or Plan C without losing any money.
2: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, playing the system is what you've got to do, I think, these days to be sure of making your trip. And I think what that shows is the difference between the way bits of the market are recovering. domestic recovery has come and it's been set back, but it seems to be sort of pretty well on course. International routes, much less um, certain. So it's a difference between short haul and long haul, but also different regions of the world are treating the... um, omicron variant and the way they deal with the, with the virus differently and that's affecting air travel i mean if you look at southeast asia that really you know that's the real laggard in the recovery of air transport whereas if you look at american domestic that's recovering quite nicely chinese domestic um recovery has been set back because of the new lockdowns they fought in their zero COVID strategy and the upcoming beijing winter olympics they want that to go off without a hitch so they're they're locking things down again. So it's a very sort of mixed picture around the globe. I mean, you look at the transatlantic, that's routes, you know, very important for airlines, very profitable, they can open up again. And it looks like that, you know, uh, capacity on those routes could be back to normal by summertime uh, for a lot of the airlines.
0: Which means, of course, those airfares are going to be going up, if you look at the re- the latest projections, at the rate of 7% per month, that's compounded. So if you're looking to travel... Sometime in June or July, which, by the way, you won't be alone. That's where most people like to travel. You might want to book your flights now because the airfares are going to go only up. That's number one. Number two, a trend, Simon, that was really started before the pandemic, but has really increased traction now, and it's happening at the government level, it's happening at the airline level as well, openly encouraging travelers not to take short-haul flights, but instead take the train, especially in Europe. I think
2: that's right. Look, I mean, and it's probably only in Europe where that is a possibility, though, perhaps also in China as well, where they have a reasonable sort of a, um, a fast train network. But um, that's because the big question that's been hanging over airlines and was started, you know, was in the air before the COVID struck was the issue of sustainability and how to cut emissions from flights. Look, if you look at Air France, one of the conditions of their bailout from the French government was that um, certain sh- very short flights in France they wouldn't be allowed to run them, and in fact, that you know passengers would have to take the train. And look, having taken. Uh, fast change in Europe. That's not a, not a bad thing at all. You know,
0: one of the things I love about The Economist, and I, I in fact I do a story on this every single time you do this, Simon, is your Big Mac index. I love your Big Mac index where you actually price out the cost of a Big Mac in about 30 different cities around the world because if you figure out what the cost of a Big Mac is, you can probably figure out what you're going to be spending for everything else anytime you go to that city. And I'm always amazed by who's got the cheapest Big Mac and who's got the most expensive. The most expensive tends to be like in Norway, where it's almost $8, I think. And of course, the cheapest one, I think, is in Caracas in Venezuela, where it might be 74 cents. But uh, it's always a great thing to read. I I know you guys do it with a certain sense of humor, but I I actually use it as a guide. So let's, without the Big Macs getting in here now, where do you see the uh, the silver linings in terms of, of, of destinations, COVID variants notwithstanding? for 2022?
2: Well, look, I think, again, domestic travel is going to be the thing that, uh, you know, where we're going to see the biggest recovery. So that's where we're going to see, you know, the silver linings of companies that cater to th- that, that sort of market. Other silver linings? Well, I think the transatlantic open- opening again is going to be good for everybody. And I think, as you said, you know, uh, European short haul routes, I think, Think we're going to see a bigger easing of restrictions there pretty soon, so I think that's going to take off pretty well. My big worry is still Asia, where they seem, you know, China with zero COVID, the strict lock stricter lockdown measures that have come in because of Omicron, um, and also the fact that their vaccination rates are pretty low. I still think that's going to be that's going to be lagging behind for the rest of the year.
0: Exactly, and of course, it gets out of the vaccination levels of where you want to go. You know, determining first of all your own vaccination level and whether or not you've been boosted, and then the craziness in the destination where you want to go. What are the regulations there? And my advice to everybody is don't go online. Even though we all are used to getting information that way, it may not be, believe it or not, as up-to-date as you think, especially at the government website level. I'm a big fan of calling a travel agent who specializes either in that region or in that destination to find out not only how I can go, but if I can go. And then... Because we always like to add on our trips, you know, the way that different countries are responding to this means it may not be as easy as you think to just go to Italy and then hop over to France. You may just have to do one-dimensional travel for much of this year. Well,
2: I think that's very good advice because, as you say, there's still a thicket of different rules. They're changing all the time. It's very hard to keep up with them. And it's not just about entry into the countries. It's about what you can do while you're there and what sort of documentation you need to get into museums restaurants or to sort of do the things you do while you're on holiday or even on a business trip. So, again, that's something that, as you rightly say, is well worthwhile checking before you go and also making sure that information is bang up to date.
0: I know. So, and by the way, I, I, I say this once, I'll say it again, it changes by the hour. I mean, I've actually, I've created a small little collection for myself of how many different tests I've done on my nose in the last... In the last two years, and I can smell a, I can fill a small telephone book with it, uh, and yet the re- the requirements change all the time. Uh, right now, in Ireland, I can go without being tested. Uh, in London, I can go without being quarantined. Uh, but in in Norway, even though they just opened up, I have to be tested once I arrive. I mean, every country is operating in its own silo. There's not, we were hoping for that famous vaccination passport that would be recognized worldwide. Good luck with that. We were hoping for some set of standards that would be universally recognized, verified, and not able to be forged. Good luck with that. So everybody's operating in their own best interest, which means not necessarily in your best interest, and they're operating in their own silos. So you need to do your homework. That doesn't mean you can't travel, but it does mean you have to do your homework up to the last minute to determine where you're going to travel, if you're going to travel, and if you're going to travel, how are you going to travel? So, is there any one region, Simon, that you that you have hope for? Look, I suspect
2: everywhere will be loosening the the travel restrictions over the course of the year. That's that's the great thing. Even in Southeast Asia, I don't think you know they're going to have to. Countries with zero COVID policies are going to have to start rethinking them because it's you know it's almost an impossibility. So, I think I think the great thing is even though there are these restrictions pretty much everywhere they, they they're they going to sort of be relaxed over the course of the year so that's that that would be my advice would be just to sort of you know make sure as you rightly say you know you know what the restrictions are when you're going to be traveling but that's you know very hard to predict if you're going to be traveling three months hence what what exactly the situation will be i mean we don't even know right. that. there could be another variant could turn up and set everything back again
0: Every year, it seems that someone in Congress introduces what seems to be a comprehensive bill protecting passenger rights. And what a surprise, it never gets out of committee. It never even gets to a vote. And this has been going on since airline deregulation was introduced back in 1978. But a number of consumer groups haven't given up. One in particular, Flyers United. That group is led by Charlie Leoka, who is continuing the battle. How are you, sir?
3: Hey, I'm doing great. Good to be back here, Peter.
0: I got one thing I want to talk to you about because it's something you wrote about not long ago, and that's this. Uh, What if you're sick, you actually do not feel well, and you don't want to get on the plane and infect people, what are your rights? Do you have any?
3: No. And this is something which we've been fighting for. And uh, I actually sent letters out to the... Uh, house committee and the Senate commerce committee about this before they gave the airlines a penny out of their billions of dollars that the airlines got. And we ended up getting nothing. They, they just said, sorry, we can't deal with it. Only the Senate leadership is dealing with it and the house leadership. And so you're out of luck such as life, but we're still fighting.
0: I suppose the only good news is if you, if you do cancel, and it's not a non-refundable basic economy ticket, at least you're not going to lose your money.
3: Right. You're not going to lose your money. And if the airline cancels, which they were doing during the pandemic, uh, you get all your cash back, including all of your extra fees that you've paid. So it's really important that people understand that and that they don't believe the airlines when the airlines say, gee, we'll be happy to give you a, um, an airline credit. We'll give you a voucher. And just say, no, I don't want a voucher. I want real money. Thank you.
0: And by the way, let's, let's, let's fine tune this. If you're booked on a three o'clock flight to New York and the airline calls you and says, sorry, we've canceled the three o'clock flight. We've put you on a 7 p.m. flight or a 9 p.m. flight, that qualifies as them canceling your flight. You can get a refund on that as well, even if you bought a so-called non-refundable ticket. Don't forget that. Now, let's change gears for a second. One of the stories that's near and dear to me, and we talk about it on the air all the time, those insidious resort fees, or otherwise known in some urban hotels as destination fees. This is a battle you've been waging for quite some time, Charlie. You had some success. There was a settlement with the Pennsylvania State Attorney General with Marriott, which now requires them under the settlement terms to fully disclose and list their resort fees on the same page where they're quoting their, their room rates, correct?
3: right however that's not happening happening immediately they literally have something like nine months to get everything in operation however they've now signed the settlement and they've agreed to do that Uh, we on the other hand have also we're continuing with our lawsuits against the mgm resorts the dcag is suing uh, marriott corporation and the nebraska ag is suing hilton corporation in texas and we're beginning to work all these together so that we can, within, I, I think by the end of the year or halfway through next year, uh, we're going to have the resort fee issue settled. And it it's looking really good right now.
0: All right. Well, let's say we're not there next year. We're now there here this year. And in the current environment, it's been my argument, and Charlie, tell me if you either agree or disagree, that... If the hotel either A, doesn't disclose it at the time you make the reservation or they don't disclose it at the time you check in and then all of a sudden it's sticker shock when you get the bill, you do have a right to dispute it or if they do disclose it, you do have a right to discuss it and possibly get it thrown out.
3: Right. You do. And the other thing is, is you you can't, there's no national organization you can write to. So you have to write to the actual to the attorney general in the state and at that point normally we've always i don't know of any cases when they have been forced to pay the resort fee so if you write to the attorney general it comes down as a complaint against the hotel and you normally get your money back or you do not have to pay the resort fee
0: wow okay you heard it from charlie Leoka, the president of travelers united and by the way in fairness I do not deny any hotel, nor should I, nor could I, the right to make a profit. What Charlie and I are talking about here is the right and the necessity and the responsibility of being transparent and practicing full disclosure, right?
3: Right. What we're talking about is when you see an advertisement and it says $100 a night for a hotel room, you expect to pay $100 a night. You don't expect to get to the hotel and have them say, sorry, it's also $30 mandatory charge that you have to pay. Otherwise, you can't stay here or we're going to take you to jail. And so that's the big issue here is truth in advertising. That's the way I look at it.
0: All right. So that's item number one here, which, of course, we'll be revisiting because it's not going away anytime soon. Uh, And then, you know, when it gets down to a traveler's bill of rights, this is something in in the age of deregulation that's never really flown because under deregulation, No individual state and legislatures have tried to do this in in New York state as well to create a passenger bill of rights, which gets thrown out in federal court every time because the airlines cite that they can't be regulated and therefore they have no jurisdiction to be given those bills of rights. Uh, What's the upside to this, Charlie?
3: Well, the upside is we, we don't have a bill of rights. However, we have been working hard with DOT and even under the last administration DOT really improved their uh, their website so that you could now easily search different things on the website. However, one of the areas that we've really been looking at is we've been trying to get the airports to put up posters to say, hey, you know, these are your rights. These are your rights if your baggage is lost. These are your rights if your flight's delayed. And these are your rights if you're, if you're bumped off a flight. And uh, unfortunately, we can't get the DOT to agree to this because the airlines are very vociferously uh, fighting us uh, at DOT and with the FAA. So someday it will happen, but when, I'm not sure.
0: But there is some precedent to this, and it's in the rulemaking aspects of the U.S. Department of Transportation. Let us not forget the famous tarmac delay rule, which the airlines argued vociferously, as you said, that it would cost them millions of dollars. They could not do it financially. It would not be efficient. And what the rule was, if you didn't, if you were stuck with your passengers out on some tarmac or runway, and you know you were approaching that three-hour mark, if you didn't return them to the gate within that three-hour period, you were subjected to fines of up to twenty-seven thousand five hundred dollars per passenger, even on a seven thirty-seven, you're in seven figures. So the airline said they couldn't do it. They passed the rule anyway, and guess what? How many tarmac delays have they been over three hours? Not many. Yep. And we're still you, here. Right. So it is doable. Exactly. That's right.
3: Everything's doable. It's just a question of getting the administration, whoever's in charge, uh, really to do something about it. And what we've had is when you've got a strong uh, secretary of transportation, like we had Ray LaHood back during the first section of the uh, the first uh, administration of Obama's uh, time, he was really good. But since those days, we have not had any secretary of transportation who even knows the word consumer or passenger. I'm sure that the only time they, I even hear Pete Buttigieg say something about um, uh, passengers is only when they knock two teeth out of some uh, airline flight attendant's mouth. And then they go, oh, passengers are bad. <laughs> excuse me. Passengers have to put up with a lot of grief all the time and if they are so frustrated that they're going to hit someone that is really saying a lot of bad things about the airline industry
0: my thanks to charlie and while paris and most of europe is open that's not the case in much of asia and one destination that remains in lockdown hong kong and that's where we find lalit marcus from cnn how are you hello i'm
1: well uh it's about 65 degrees Fahrenheit here in Hong Kong, which means that everyone has gotten out their parkas and winter snow boots.
0: (laughs) That's right. It's sort of like Los Angeles. When the temperature drops below 60, they get pneumonia. I get it. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So let's quickly get an update from you, because as so many other countries are beginning to open up, we just had Ireland open up, Norway opening up, most of the European Union opening up. Hong Kong is still locked down.
1: It is. I think uh, Hong Kong, mainland China, and Western Australia might be the last three places in the world that are determined to hunker down and keep their borders closed. So, yeah, I'm thrilled that I live in a place where most restrictions are lifted. Things are pretty normal within the city. We've never had a full-scale lockdown But it also means that I really miss my friends and family who live in other parts of the world. And the last time I visited the States, I had to do a three-week quarantine when I came back.
0: Oh, Oh. well, listen, if you think that's bad, there's such pent-up demand that when it's finally lifted, you're going to have nonstop visitors.
1: (laughs) I've got my couch ready to go.
0: (laughs) So let's talk about those people who can get out of town and who can go visit as the world begins to open. You just did a very good piece on the best destinations to visit in 2022. And I was interested to see how many of them were in the Caribbean and some that nobody would ever pick in Africa. So uh, I I love it. You, You picked Antigua and Barbuda. I get that. I've had some friends just come back from there with no problems whatsoever. The social distancing was sort of baked into the deal. But then you picked a place... In, in Guinea-Bissau, in Africa, uh, the the Bissagos Islands, or the Bissagos Islands.
1: Yeah, well, one thing that's really nice about working here at CNN is that we have reporters and editors everywhere. So while I'm based in Hong Kong and I'm in charge of Asia-Pacific, my colleagues in London and Atlanta and around the world gave me their suggestions for places that they thought should be on the list this year, and we eventually narrowed it down to 22 So, yeah, I have to admit, Guinea-Bissau is not a place that I've ever visited, although I'd love to. So I wouldn't have known about these islands if not for one of my colleagues in London, who covers Africa a lot, and recommended them for the list this year. And the minute I saw pictures, I was like, yes, let's
0: do it. And for those people who don't know where it is or don't even know what it is, get this. 88 islands, of which just 23 are inhabited, and there's a cruise line based out of Norway called Herdigruten, which normally goes further north, but guess what? They are the expedition cruisers out there, and they've added these islands to their list of destinations. That's a very cool thing. The next one on your list has been on my list for years. I've been there many, many times, and that's Cape Breton in Nova Scotia. How beautiful is that? Oh, my gosh. I
1: know. That part of Canada is just stunning.
0: I mean, it really is. We're talking. I think what's
1: nice about I think what's nice about our list is that there are places all over the world, so there hopefully is at least one close to you that is attainable for this year. You may not be able to make it to Antarctica this year, but you might be able to go to Cape Breton, and it's gorgeous there.
0: We're talking about eight thousand square miles. It is unbelievable. What a great ride up the coast! I mean, I love it every chance every chance I go, Um, and then of course. You know, we talk about Chile, and that's on your list as well. I love this little string bean of a country. It's got everything from the driest desert in the world, the Atacama. Of course, it's got Patagonia and then outside of Santiago, Santiago, the Lake District. Uh, And it's got one of my favorite little villages on the Pacific Ocean called La Serena, um, which really hasn't changed since the 1800s. And for those people who are, you know, workaholic and connectivity junkies, Chile has always had probably one of the world's best telephone systems, so you will not be uh, out of touch if you choose not to be. So I, I totally support Yeah, your, uh, I mean, in
1: the capital city, there is literally a skyscraper made to look like a cell phone. That's how seriously they
0: take it. <laughs> you're right. Uh, you've got Colombo there in Sri Lanka, and Sri Lanka is now opening up. They had some pretty bad pandemic hits. They're now starting to open up, so timing is everything. Uh, of course, if you're a Mustard fan... I'm only kidding. There's Dijon in France. And, uh, and of course, when you get there, whatever you do, don't ask if they have any great Poupon. Uh, then you've got <laughs> one here. I've been there. And it's phenomenal, especially in the summer for all the obvious reasons. And that's Disco Bay in Greenland.
1: So I was really excited that Colombo made the list this year because I had the opportunity to go in 2021. Really interesting time to be there because they were slowly starting to open up amid the pandemic, but there were not a lot of other tourists there. So I had some of the most spectacular sights in the entire country, essentially to myself. Uh, I was at, you know, I was at beaches where there were no other people around.
0: It's going to be a big year in travel. Every indicator seems to uh, lead us to the thought that there'll be over 3 billion people traveling, over a billion people crossing an international border, And that could be you. I mentioned Disco Bay in Greenland earlier because that's on your list. What a cool place that is, especially in the summer months. And one of the coolest things about Greenland is if you want to go anywhere, you just ask the guy down the street and he'll go, oh, I have a boat. (laughs) And out you go. The infrastructure is exactly where you want it to be. It's like, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy and out you go. Uh, One of the other things on your list, which nobody ever talks about, And this is a truly amazing destination. It's the African country of Gabon. They have great national parks, don't they?
1: Yes, absolutely. And that's what we really wanted to highlight on our list this year.
0: It's true. And uh, great wildlife. And think about this. More than 10% of the country is 13 national parks. Now, one other thing on the list this year, which is great because they're now getting new air service is Jordan. United Airlines starts service there in May. Uh, The first U.S. airline to fly there since the old days of Pan Am. And uh, this is the time to go. Talk about natural reserves. Of course, it's more than just Petra. It's the Wadi Rum. So congratulations for putting them on the list. And you've got Finland on the list. But you've got a, a very interesting place in Finland called Lati. Explain.
1: Yeah. Well, I love Finland. Uh, I haven't gotten a chance to go recently, but when I have been in Finland, it's such a great country. The people are so welcoming. They're so excited whenever tourists want to come and visit where they're from. And Lottie was on our radar because it's a really green destination. Even though the list doesn't necessarily have a theme for all the places that we think you should travel to in 2022, we did keep at the front of mind that we wanted places that were as good for the planet as they would be for you to visit. And and Lodi really checks a lot of boxes there with public transit, with commitment to green lifestyle, with organic food.
0: And then, here's good news, Norway just opened. Uh, they only require you to be tested once you get there, but you can go, and guess what made the list? Oslo. I love Oslo. It's uh, such a manageable city. Get yourself a bicycle, ride everywhere, The food is unbelievable. They've got a new monk museum. Remember the Screamer? Uh, But in addition to that, the food is unbelievable. Check out a hotel there called The Thief. Go there for breakfast. You'll know exactly what I mean when I say check it out and go hungry. But then you've got something else on the list, Lilith, that I really love. And uh, I've been going since 1978. And that's Palau. Only 18,000 residents. We're talking Micronesia, really. Um, And... If you're not careful in the Rock Islands, you will absolutely get lost. But the best thing about Palau is the pledge. They really are yes. concerned and dedicated for sustainability, right?
1: Yeah, and that's what I love is a lot of destinations pay lip service to being eco-friendly because they think it sells tickets. But Palau really means it. And the Palau Pledge, which you just mentioned, was a promise to the environment written by school children in Palau, because this is all about protecting these destinations for future generations. And everyone who comes to the country is asked to sign this pledge, promising that they will be a responsible steward of the environment while they are visiting.
0: My thanks to Lalit, to Charlie Leoka, to Simon Wright, and to Elaine Shilino. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, one destination that's not in lockdown, that's petergreenberg.com. Special thanks
1: to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com Peter
0: and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Hi, this is Jill
1: Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast